Hey, this is Scott. Thanks for checking out the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church. Hope it's encouraging for you and helps you take your next steps in your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, before we uh, step into our new conversation this weekend, just want to give a little update and celebrate God's movement through our church as we've been talking about Let's Go, kind of the future of our church, us pursuing a 24-7 facility solution kind of by God's grace. Last week was the culmination of that where somebody stepped forward and we had kind of like a commitment card moment there. And to me, I was just excited to see the, the faith family respond together and not only in those commitment cards, but also as we placed name tags on a box to kind of say these are the, the people that we're praying for. It's not just about dollar figures, that this is about making Jesus famous, about um, impacting people with the gospel. And so as that happened, 23 families stepped together and, and, and made commitments around $200,000, which is just a tremendous start to this campaign as a church body. And we're just stoked by that. We give God all the glory for that. Really, really huge. Really, really huge. Um, such a generous response from those who call this place home. And, and this is just the beginning of that campaign that runs three years above and beyond normal giving. And our, our goal, we said from the beginning, was less about a dollar amount and more about everyone that calls this home would participate with this. So if you were gone last week, there's still opportunities to participate. We have those commitment cards at the back. And, and there's really a level of kind of ability to interact with that no matter where you're at. Um, and we would, we would invite anyone that calls this home to, to step into that and fill that out this week. And also, as we talked about this, really challenging people to kind of get the engine started. You know, sometimes that's the hardest part of, of string trimming the lawn, right? Is getting this, the thing started, right? Now, most of you have like electric ones, but for us old school people that have gas engines, you know, getting it going is, is important. And so we would encourage folks that this week would be a time when they'd step into that first gift for that. For all of that, man, the walls have begun coming down. Our praises are going to rise up, and we just give God glory for that. This week, kind of as you can tell, we're starting a new conversation here, a series called Finding Your Sweet Spot. And it's this, this reality that in a world of extremes, that there's a place where we can find great joy, sustaining, nourishing, enjoyable fulfillment in our lives, in our activities, in our relationships, really in our presence, when we live in kind of a sweet spot. Now, tennis players, tennis players know this, that there's a lot of different ways, you know, you could hit the ball, like I could hit the ball on the side of the racket, you know, I could try to do that kind of thing. I could even turn it around and like hit it with the, with the handle, but really there's a sweet spot on this racket, and tennis players know this, and, and if they hit it at just the right spot on the nylon strings here, the, the ball flies straight, it flies true, it doesn't ring excessively in the hand, it has a lot of precision, it flies straight, it has fast, like it's just hard to fight back on one, on one of those true hitting uh, spots here on, on, the, on the rack. You know, the same thing is true also in the world of baseball. Players will talk about, you know, this fastball came down the lane and it, it just hit the sweet spot on the bat. Or vocalists will say, there's a song, you know, the song was in my sweet spot. It wasn't too low, it wasn't too high, it sounded good for my voice. It was so much more enjoyable because it was in their sweet spot. Or career counselors, this is what they'll say. They'll say, there's a sweet spot in your career where you're gifting, kind of the Venn diagram of your gifting and your passions interacts with the needs of the marketplace. So you enjoy what you get to do, you're good at it, and it makes you money. That's all a sweet spot. Likewise, there's, there's a way that God wants us to live, a, a way where we're living with purpose, 
and not futility. It would be a futile thing to play tennis hitting it with a handle, right? That's not gonna be a fun game to play. Where your senses gain, or gain clarity and not chaos. Where things resonate. And as you're navigating through life, you know, you haven't completely maxed out your schedule and you're just running ragged, but you're also not completely isolating and staying away from everyone. You're investing in meaningful relationships, but you're not completely excluding yourself. Where you don't have this unbelievable fortune where you're just amassing and gathering and gathering, but you're also not living in an ash heap in the corner of town. You find the sweet spot and the sense of belonging because you know that God loves you for who you are and not just what you do. And this series comes from a, a little known prayer from a little known author and a little known chapter in the book of Proverbs. And this week and next week, it's just two weeks in this series. I just wanna offer this up as something that's worth reading and kind of internalizing. I think you're gonna find that it's actually a really helpful prayer and it's true for everyone. There are times where we will say, hey, what we're talking about right now is really just for those people who are making a faith profession in Jesus. So like you get a pass, like this isn't one of those past moments. This is one of those things that are true for everyone, whether you're young or you're old or you've been following Jesus for 20 years or you're not even sure about the whole thing. This is, this is because this is a, a piece of wisdom literature. The book of Proverbs is a piece of wisdom literature and you, and you read wisdom literature different than you would read say the Gospels or the book of Numbers. Wisdom literature is basically people who have gone through life and they've made some observations about things that are kind of universally true. Observations about things that are wise. Now, when we talk about wisdom, that's really about having skill for living. Someone that's wise is, is skilled in how they live that out. Now, we know that in the book of Proverbs, chapters one through 29 is written by Solomon. Solomon, the son of David, super wise Solomon. He said, uh, God said, you can have anything you want. And Solomon said, I want wisdom. And so kings and queens would come to him because he had understood the world and just knew how things came together. We know that's true of 1 to 29. And then ver uh, chapter 31 talks about a woman or a wife of noble character. So if you go to a women's conference, many times they'll be focused on Proverbs 31. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all, my dear. Right? That's what Proverbs 31 is. But right between those two things is chapter 30. Chapter 30. And it's written by a guy named Agur. How's that for a name? Next time you're looking for a name for your baby, pick the name Agur, all right? This weekend, what I wanna do is I just wanna set up the passage kind of broadly, and then we're gonna kind of throw the kickstand down and just think about one phrase that he says in his prayer. And what's interesting is in the book of Proverbs, this is the only prayer in the entire book from this guy who had skill for living that he offers it up to us and I think there's something that we're gonna gain from it. But a couple questions as we enter into Proverbs chapter 30 and first is who is Agur? He doesn't show up anywhere else in scripture. This is the only spot that we see him but we, here's what we know as we read this whole chapter. He's a guy that's smart, he's funny, he's really perceptive, 
He's one of those guys that's just like streetwise in a good kind of way. He's been around. He knows how stuff works and functions. We don't know much about him other than he's the son of Jacka, because it says in the first verse of this whole situation, he's talking to his friend Ithiel, and some scholars even think that he's from like maybe North Arabia. But another question that we might have as we think about this is why is he even writing? And if you have, have a Bible, you can grab one of these orange Bibles there. I think it's page 453. We're gonna check out the main passage in just a second, but this is how he starts the whole salvo. He says this, he says, I am weary, but I will prevail. Okay, I want you to say that back with me. Say the first phrase. I am weary, but I will prevail. Okay, let's do that again. You ready? I am weary, but I will prevail. And some of you came this weekend and you need that one phrase because your schedules and your life just makes you feel weary. I am weary, but I will prevail. That's how he starts the whole thing. Evidently, Whatever he's going through, he's feeling kind of that weight of life. And, and, and I know so many of us feel that as well. But have you ever stopped and just prayed that to God? God, I, I'm weary. I am weary, God. But then he kind of centers his heart and his soul. I'm weary, but I will prevail Have you ever prayed that to him? Have you ever been running ragged? Have you been chasing down all sorts of things and running between like dance practice and kids' soccer schedule and they have this doctor's appointment and then I'm sitting in traffic for all hours of the day and then I gotta go to these medical appointments and I'm paying all these bills? That's a form of weariness that sometimes that we can experience. But it's just schedule deep. But there's like a, a deeper weariness of the soul that sometimes weighs down on us. And I think that's actually what's happening here with Aguirre, that there's something going on a bit deeper than just the status of his schedule. Because of how we look the rest of the book, you can kind of see that he's frustrated with culture. He looks at people and he says, I don't, I don't understand this stuff. He calls himself a brute. I'm a mindless brute. I, I search out understanding, but it's very confusing to me. And as he's been living through life, he's, it's like he's ran up against some challenges in his own personality. Things that he continually goes up against that cause frustrations for him. So it's almost that weariness of, of like your own, your own brokenness. Have you, ever, have you ever had that happen? It's like, why is this coming up over and over again in my life? And it just kind of wears, wears me down. I feel weary about that. You know, maybe it's something like, you know, a tendency to procrastinate. I shared that last week about the, the fridge and how we lost all of our meat because I didn't deferred maintenance on the thing. It's just like a procrastination. And so those things, after you look over years and years and years in your life, you start to see how that procrastination, like, led to some fallout in some areas. Maybe your professional career or friendships that they were counting on you and you never came through. Maybe it's, maybe it's someone who is just a people pleaser and so you look back at your life and you can say, man, when I was with this crowd, I acted one way and I, and I just constantly morphed who I was and so I, I feel like I've lost chunks of myself at every step along the way. Maybe it's uh, someone who, who never can control their tongue and they're just good at zinging people and so they look back and they just see a lot of shrapnel in relationships because they just mindlessly spoke what they thought without care or concern for how others received that. So you can look back at your life and whatever that challenge might be for you, you just, I know I have those things in my life where I look back and, 
And, and I see like that's continually been a, a challenge for me. And it's caused me to react in some ways. So for example, for me, I, I, I know one of those things for me is um, like when I was in elementary school, I was really bad at staying on top of my homework. It's really bad with responsibility. So I remember my elementary teacher, she, because this is what elementary teachers do, which by the way, Lori, I, did, I saw that you laminated that thing. So two teachers love lamination, right? They just do, okay? And so she laminated this card that she put it on my desk and it said like, have you put your home in your backpack? Yes or no? Uh, have you written your name on the homework? Yes or no? Have you, has your teacher checked your backpack? Yes or no? Have you handed it to your, your parents? Yes or no? Have you put it back in your bag to bring it home? Yes or no? Have you, and like, I was just really bad at that stuff. And that kind of progressed all through junior high, high school, and I started to get a little better at it. But I remember being in college and applying for the education program, and I missed some deadlines. And I just remember Dr. Gardy sitting with me in, my, in his office, and he looks at me and he says, Avi, is this going to be a continual problem with you? And, and I just remember, oh, like, boiled under my blood. Like, I hated being rebuked about this. And so I kind of got this, like, I will show you how on top of things I will be. And, and then so I, I kind of like, that was one extreme, was like dropping the ball, and then it was like, I'm gonna define myself by how on top of it I'm going to be. And it became a, a part of like my identity. And, and many times our self-destructive patterns like that, they just, they move us out of balance, right? It's like a back and forth thing. I don't want my tongue to get me in trouble, so I'm just not gonna open up. I don't wanna be a people pleaser, so I'm just not gonna let people into my life. Turn in your Bibles to uh, Proverbs chapter 30. If you're not already there, page 453. And this is what I wanna do. We're gonna focus on verses seven through nine. This is the prayer that we're looking at. And I wanna have everyone stand together. Stand with me. We're gonna read it out loud. Let's read this out loud. Verses seven through nine, starting on two things. Let's read it together. Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. All right, stay standing. That was kind of the intro setup for the passage. We're gonna pray and then we're gonna put the kickstand down on the first part of that, okay? God, thank you for your word. We ask that you soften our hearts before you here this weekend. Thanks for this precious little prayer that gives us a lot of skill for living. Open our hearts to, to see and receive and be here with us, God. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. All right, you guys can sit down. So this is what, this is what Aguirre mentions for, for those kind of extremes those, those things that have heaped up in his past. He talks about two different things. The first is he talks about living an honest version of himself and then owning stuff. Now next week we're gonna look at the owning stuff portion of that, but this weekend what I wanna look at is the first aspect. He says two things I've asked of you, Lord, don't refuse me before I die. He says keep falsehood and lies from my, from, uh, far from me. At first glance, I, I would look at this and at first glance it kind of has this feeling like, help me not to be someone who speaks untrue things. 
Evidently, he's experienced that for his life. Maybe he was pulled in that direction if it was just easier to lie and try to get away with something. Maybe he's been impacted by people that were constantly deceiving him. But that's kind of the first take of this is like, I don't want something untrue to come out of my mouth because ultimately deceptive things, that's the work of the enemy. He's the father of lies and the enemy will float nine parts of truth to get part, one part of lie through there. He says, I don't want to have to do anything with that, and that certainly would be true. But the Hebrew word used for this falsehood, this word falsehood is the word shav, and it actually means um, how the King James Version translates it a little differently, and it, and it means the word vanity. Vanity, futility, worthlessness, so it's almost like Aguirre is looking at his life and he's saying there's a, there's a sense where I can present myself to other people and it's not an honest version of myself. And when we think about like, someone who's vain, you know, you might think of someone who's primping in the mirror and it's just all about their looks. But I think that he's actually asking this. He's saying not just not God make my, my words be true but help who I am not to be a lie. How I present myself, how I interact with others, I don't want that to be false. I want that to ring true. I want that to be in a sweet spot. I want to be the truest version of myself. I don't want to try to impress people. I don't want to spin a version so that they would maybe think more highly of me than, than, than I am or think a certain way about me. That, here's, here's though where I think that comes from is that we all really want to be known for something. Whether you thought about this a lot or you've never thought about this at all, we all have some sort of adjective that we want other people to consider us when they think about us. And these adjectives are largely then determinative and that means they're, they're gonna determine what we post to social media. It's gonna determine what we say about ourselves, it's gonna determine what we hide about ourselves, it's gonna determine what our insecurities are, it's gonna determine what we put out front and maybe what's gonna hurt our feelings if someone says something else. And the list certainly goes on and it, it impacts what we post on Instagram. Like that's, they're determinative. And so the question that I want you to think about this weekend and maybe in life groups if you guys end up talking about it there is what do you want to be known for? When you think about what you present to other people, what do you want to be known for? I know what I, I, I want to, I, I know what I want to be known for, and I don't even know that I, I've said this out loud a lot, but it's just this first thing that I thought of, is that I want to be known to be competent. Just do, like, for me, I have a brother, godly brother, best big brother you could ever ask for, you know, um, and as we were growing up, the same kind of age, and he's just really good at everything. He's, when you're a boy, it matters that someone's faster than you and stronger than you, you know, has more veins on their arms or whatever. Like, that was my brother. He was all of those things. Um, and, and, he was fat, and he was better at everything until it came to music. And then I kind of found, like, my worth and my value was how competent I was in that area. And it just kind of morphed into all sorts of other things. That's how I understood myself to be worthwhile, to be valuable. This is, like, if you're an Enneagrammer, I'm an Enneagram three, like an achiever. So that's what I want to be known as, as competent. And of course, other things, like I want to be known as a good father, a good husband, someone who loves Jesus, but those are just some of the things that I want to be known about. So what about you? What about you? What do you want to be known for? And let me just take this a level, a level de a deeper here. Like, what do you do then 
when you don't measure up? What do you do when you don't measure up to you? Because you do what I do. We pretend, we excuse, and sometimes we even mislead. And we can't help it, but we just begin to kind of manage our image. And the problem with that is when we manage our image, it, it makes us imaginary. When you begin to kind of manage who you are, there's something on the inside of you and you manage that and you project something different on the outside, it's, it's false. You pretend, you become without meaning, you become an imaginary person. And, as, and try as hard as you might, it's impossible then, listen, to have genuine relationships. It's impossible to have genuine intimacy and, and marriage and other important relationships because you're not genuine and you can't have genuine relationships if you can't be yourself and so there's this giant gap between where you're at on the inside and what you project on the outside and how other people think about me and it's as if Aguirre had been experiencing that and it had kind of piled together and he he would manage his image with other people he would use, so that they would use certain adjectives about him and the reality is when you live a life like that it leaves you weary because you're not just carrying on one version of yourself. Like you're carrying two or three versions of yourself and that's a weight that we were never designed to bear. It's gotten in the way of his relationships and ultimately it's gotten in the way of him growing as a, as a person because here's what happens. When we start pretending, we ultimately stop growing. We get older but we don't get wiser. We might get older, but we don't get better. <laughs> we might get older, but and I like this word. This is an, it's a good word. We don't get finer. If you ever known someone and you were gonna describe them, you'd say, man, that person, he's just, he's just a fine, what a fine guy. That girl, she's just, she's just a fine girl. She's gotten better, he's gotten better with age. And so you actually just get stuck. Now, I know all about this because, listen, pastors, us pastors are some of the worst people at this. We really, really are. I'll speak on behalf of kind of all pastors because I am one, right? We're the worst when it comes to this. And the reason that we're the worst is because if you understand this, if you're an older brother, if you're a parent, you know, you got a younger brother, a younger sister, and you kind of want to have the moral high road when it comes to those relationships, you want them to think the best of you, so you're always on because you don't want someone to lose respect for you. Now listen, when you do what I do, like everybody's your kid. <laughs> you're always on. You wanna be so careful, and so it's a big deal for people like me who just kinda fall into this rut to some extent. But listen, to the degree that that in my lifestyle, this degree, in my marriage, even my faith, where I veer and I present something other than what it really is, there's this gap, and that's the area that I, I start to pretend. And to make matters worse, if we're honest, you would probably prefer that I pretend. You'd probably want me to be who you want me to be. In other words, you wouldn't want me to say, hey guys, we're gonna start a brand new series on self-control and before we start, I just wanna say thank you to the elders who came and picked me up from the local sports bar because I had one too many, but hey, let's talk about self-control. Right, that's too much information. You don't want to know that. 
You want to think something about me. It's, you want me to have that illusion, you know? There, there can be this pressure, you know? Like, uh, imagine, imagine I were to get up and I were to say, hey, we're going to start a new series on making the most of marriage. Uh, meanwhile, Jennifer's been like, hey, you get one more chance, buddy, or I'm kicking you out of the place, you know? Like, you want me to be a certain version of that because you don't want to hear this. And that's, that's just the pressure that we all live in to some extent. And the most of us, we have this gap between who we are and who we want others to understand us. Now listen, I, I'm gonna talk about y'all for a moment, because where's the space that we feel maybe the, the highest draw to do that? It's probably in church, right? Because in church, this is the space. I mean, look at y'all. Y'all and your best behavior. I don't see anybody falling asleep. You're all sitting up tall and you're paying attention and you held hands on the way in and you're dressed good and you're looking good. You're up to your best. And you may have even like screamed your lungs out in the minivan on the way here and threatened to take away Christmas from your kids. And so they're not even gonna talk the rest of the morning and then until you get home back in the car again. We're on our best behavior. And the reason that we pretend at church is because if people really know us, if people really knew who we were and what we were struggling with, maybe, maybe they wouldn't like me. And this is kind of maybe the jump off point here from what we're talking about for the next few minutes is that if people don't really know what you're really like, then they really don't like you. <laughs> They don't know what you really like, then they don't really like you. They just like the image of you. They just like the social media version of you. They just like those adjectives that you've convinced them are true, and they don't really know you because they don't, and they don't really like you. And it's possible, it's possible that some, someone's here, and this is a horrible thing to say, but maybe nobody really likes you because nobody really knows you. Some of us, you know, we're tempted and we experience this pressure and we just become a pretendaholic <laughs> throughout all of this. And we, until we embrace who we really, really are, until we can live a genuine, authentic version of ourselves, then we're not gonna be in a sweet spot for our life. Here's what the prayer of Agur calls on us. It calls on us to grow deeper in our understanding of the power and the love of God and how vital and crucial a faith community ultimately is. It's fascinating what Aguirre says just a few verses prior to this and in verse four. So open your, open your Bible and just kind of follow through. He has a lot to say. We're just zoning in on a couple words here, but check this out. This is what he says. He says, I am weary, I'm a brute, I, I struggle to even understand, but do you even know who God is? He says, who has gone up to heaven and come down? Whose hands have gathered up the wind? Who has wrapped up the waters in a cloak? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? Now, this is fascinating, listen. He says, what is the name of his son? That's interesting, surely you know. It's fascinating, scholars say that Aguirre is one of three Old Testament prophets that doesn't just identify the Messiah, but identifies that God has a son. He would say, listen, if you're gonna live life in the sweet spot, he starts out his whole thing. I'm weary, I don't understand it, but if you're gonna live in the sweet spot, you have to know the power and the heart and the mind of God in your life. 
or you're just gonna go around, if you're not in his word, you're just gonna go around and you're gonna be pretending, you're gonna be casting an image of yourself. If you're gonna live life in the sweet spot, you need to know the power of God because you've not gone to those places where God has, which means you know there's places in your heart, in your mind, in your and who you are, and God is aware of every single one of those spots. He's aware of all of those insecurities. He's aware of all of those internal dialogues and those internal prejudices and biases and lusts. And God knows our thoughts of idolatries and our thoughts of insecurities. And he looks at every single one of you in the ugliest version that possibly exists. And he says, I know that part of you. Because I'm the one that's gathered up the waters into the ocean. I'm the one that knows where the storehouses of snow are kept. And I know those parts of you. And you couldn't hide from me even if you want. You have to know the power of God. But you also have to know the heart and the mind of God. The heart and the mind of God says, I see that. And I still love you. I see those ugly, gross parts of you that you don't want anyone else to know. And the way you talked to her, or the way you looked at him, I see all of that. And I still love you. And the doctrine of God's grace, listen, the doctrine of God's grace does not come from how you perform or what you present. It comes from one thing and one thing alone, and it's not your temperament, your personality. It's God's temperament and God's personality, and that never changes. It's steadfast. He is the firm foundation. And if we're gonna live life in the sweet spot, we have to know that God sees you and that he loves you and it's only because of his goodness. It's not from your best efforts. It's not from being competent. It's not from being smart. It's not from being discernful. It's not from being helpful. It's not from being a peacemaker. It's not from having a sense of adventure. It's not from being a great leader. It's not from, from being artistic and, and, and expression. It's not from any of those things. Our, our value comes because he says we are worth it. In fact, it comes in spite of those best efforts. That's what the gospel speaks to us. And in fact, Paul says that that's true so that nobody can boast. So that no one can stand and say, God, look at how good I am. Do you, do you see how critical that is to living life authentically, kind of in this sweet spot? Do you see that? Because what that means is that if God sees the ugliest parts of me, loves me the same and extends grace and mercy to me, it means that I don't have to pretend. I don't have to put on false pretense. I can leave that at the door, and, and I can step in, and I can say, hey, this is kind of the, the crud that I'm living in right now. <laughs> and that's okay, because I'm not defined by that anymore. See, my, my adjectives and what I want everyone to think about me is that I can get the stuff done, I can do it, you know, my adjectives and my words are D-O, what I do, but in Christ, the adjective that God would look at me, he would say, you're D-O-N-E. It's not what you've done, but it's what Christ have done on your behalf. It's been finished, and you don't have to labor for that anymore. Not only does the prayer of Aguirre invite us to know the power and the love of God, but then it also calls us to enter into authentic and transparent community, because here's what's true. We all wanna be known for something, that's what we want, but we need to be known 
by someone. We might want to be known for something, but we absolutely need to be known by someone. We need the kind of relationships where we can drop that manufactured cool, where we can drop the pretense, where we can drop being courageous and confident and having it all together and being organized. We need a place where we can drop that without fear of being judged, without fear of being rejected. And you know it's true. When you find an environment that's like that, like there's like this attraction to those kinds of people, whether they're healthy or not, because when you experience that kind of environment, here's what you say. Those people, they're for real. Those people are, they're for real. Because they, they've seen me and they, I've been able to let my hair down and I can be who I actually am. Those people are for real. In fact, you might not like church because you've not met real people. But there's some other environment and you'd say they're real. When you go to church, you look at people that have their act together. But when you go to this other place, you know, they're they're real, but maybe, maybe that's what's going on. But maybe there's something else going on. Maybe those people are the first people that you've been real with. And when you get real with those people, maybe for the first time, you became known and it felt good. And for the first time, someone really liked you because you allowed yourself to be you. Here's how Paul says it in Romans 15. He, he gives us this admonition. He says, accept one another. Accept one another. Just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Accept one another, he says. So when, when we engage with one another, we say we accept you and we're gonna do it the same way that God accepts us. Now how does God accept us? This is how God accepts us. He accepts us the way we are so that he can, can't, so that he can transform us into the way that he wants us to be. And this is the great part about Christianity, right? Is this, this is the reason that God accepted you just the way you are. Now listen, if you're a good parent, you accept your kids just the way they are, don't you? but you want them to grow onto maturity. You don't want them to stay there forever. You want them to grow and mature. And the reason God accepts you is the way that you are so that he can transform you into the way that he wants you to be. And you know where the best place is that you can experience that kind of unconditional transformational acceptance? It's with a community of people that are committed to living that out. They're committed to being around people that are transformed. They're committed to being people who are transformed at the level of understanding that God sees what's happening on the inside and does a work inside of them. Now listen, that can't happen real well in here. And I love here. I get, I get paid to do what I do in here. <laughs> I love it in here. It's awesome. But we can't actually articulate out what the church is meant to be and what it's best equipped to do. And that's why, listen, I need, and you need, and we all need this. We all need a therapist. <laughs> we all need, no, no, but seriously, seriously. Like we all need a group. We all need a circle. We all need an environment where, where we can be known and where we can know others, where we can one another each other, where you can be accepted, where you can honestly step in and you can confess your, your shortcomings, where you confess like, man, I'm just not winning in this environment, in this category of my life. I, I, need, I need help. And what you're going to experience is someone will say, wow, that's really tough. 
I'm, I'm just getting through that too. I kind of stink at that as well. And then they step in and they say, this is how we can grow and let's, let's, let's encourage one another. Let's call out the gospel into each other's lives and say, you know, man, I, I, I feel you that you're, you're just feeling beat down in that area, but that's not how God defines you and your identity is something other than that. And we can call each other to that deeper level. And all of a sudden you realize that you're with people that are dealing with the same kinds of things that you deal with. And they don't leave you where you are. Listen, that's, that's why from the beginning we've been like committed and whatever size this here is, we know that we need to move from rows into circles. We knew that we needed to create opportunities where we can spend time with one another in such a way that we can get to know each other's shortcomings and where we're having successes and where we're having uh, you know, losses and how we can encourage one another. The reason, that, the reason that we know that we needed to do that when we started this church is because we needed a place that was created for people like me. <laughs> because I know that I want to put forth an image of I've got it together, but I need to table with people in a small environment that can look into my life and, and call the gospel deeper into my life. We needed it. And Chris needed it as well. And Lori needed it. Amanda needed it. When we started this, we said we needed an environment where we can know each other and where we can be known. We wanted to create a place for people like us where we could have acceptance with a view towards improvement. Acceptance with a view towards improvement. That's what church is all about. You want to know why? Because that's what Jesus was all about from the very beginning. That's what the gospel is about. The gospel is God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. Not so that he would like, leave you a love note and then just leave you alone, but so that he would move into your life in such a way that he transforms you from the inside out. And he does that through, in part, his body, the church. Acceptance with a view towards improvement. And the context where that can happen is a context where people can carry your burdens, where they can know your burdens, where they can carry that, and they can carry yours. A place where you can provoke each other towards love and good deeds, a place where you're not putting on a false pretense, you're not living two lives, you're living one authentic version of yourself, and as you do that, listen, you become better, and you become stronger, and you become finer as a result. In many ways, one of the, the word pictures that I've, do you guys know what a rock tumbler is? It's like an old school thing, right? But it's this idea of like, it's a small chamber and you go and get like river rock, something that might be somewhat, somewhat pretty, right? It's got some natural beauty to it, but it's got rough edges. And when you're in community with one another, when I'm vulnerable with Chris or with Lori or, or with Eric, when, I, when I'm in community and I'm vulnerable with people, here's what happens. I'm, I'm in a community, it's like I'm a rock and I like strike up against them. And in the rock tumbler, as all, of these, as all of these rocks rub up against each other, those hard edges around the outside start to get chipped off. And it's not an overnight thing. If you ever had one, you know it's like, like days and, and weeks <laughs> of these rocks just <laughs> like tumbling up against each other. But then you know what happens on, on the tail end of that? Of these rocks have kind of hit each other? The edges are gone, and you take them out, and you're like, I didn't know. I didn't know this rock was that beautiful. But it, it took the rock, like, subjecting itself to getting bumped up against. And sometimes, 
probably pretty uncomfortable for the rocks. I kind of like that edge right where it was. But at the end of all of that, it comes out and it's so much more beautiful as a result. And listen, it, it's, not just, it's not just you need to be a part of this for you. It's you need to be a part of this for the person right next to you. So we want to encourage people, man, if you're not a part of a, uh, an environment like that, get in, get in a life group. Get in a life group. You can talk to me afterwards. You can talk to my wife. We'd love to help you get plugged into an environment like that. Now listen, here's what I know. The imaginary version of yourself doesn't have time for that. But the real you, the real you is dying for that. And your marriage might be dying for that. Your marriage might be dying for a lack of that you need a real place where you can tell your real story. And listen, everyone looks good on the outside and you can be walking through the neighborhood holding hands with your spouse and looks like you're living a wrinkle-free life, but you desperately need an iron. You need to be in an environment where people know and see that. You need to be known for something. You need to be known by someone. And I, and I understand this culture that says protect and project your image. And Jesus says, listen, I want you to come out of hiding. I see all the things that are happening inside you. I love you the same. Here's a community where you can grow and get finer. You know, I, I rejoice for me. I, I've been in a lot of, um, I've been in a lot of church environments where I literally had to put on a certain kind of clothes to be a part of that. I had to like buy new running shoes because everyone ran and at the time I wasn't a runner, I still am not a good runner. Doug and Patrick run with me but I completely every week know it's an act of mercy on their part and because they love me and they want me to not, you know, be decrepit in my age. Um, but, but I would have to put on a version of myself in those environments. Can I tell you how grateful your pastor is? Not just for the sign that Lori made up, that's wonderful. But I am deeply, deeply grateful to be a part of what God is doing and what this community is because for really the first time in my life, I feel like I don't have to be someone that I'm, that I'm not. In fact, many of you walked through some, some troubled waters with me where I was dealing with stuff in my own life and it wasn't pretty and it wasn't me being competent or having it all together where I felt like I don't have worth or value because now my adjectives that I want you to say about me, they just don't feel true. Do you know what a gift that is to be a part of a, an environment, a body, a, a, a people that can look at you and you're with the edges that are there. Say, your edges are welcome in here. And we're gonna have hard conversations, we're gonna have loving conversations, and we're gonna bump up against each other. Now listen, that, that word picture is really important because listen, there's gonna come a time in your life where you've done something that maybe you haven't, that you shouldn't have done. And someone comes up to you and says, you know, that was not Christ-like. And you can choose to say, well, I'm gonna get out of this rock tumbler. But you're not gonna be finer. You're gonna keep having those edges. Or you can say, maybe God has me in this body, this group, this time right now so that that edge can be refined off of me. So that I can be made a little bit more Christ-like. So that I can shine a little brighter. So that that true layer of what's inside of me is polished 
and comes to the surface. And I can be in my sweet spot in this rock that was, okay, is now a gem to behold. And then as one of us at a time, you know, we, we, that happens inside this rock tumbler and we come out and then you say, look at this rock, it's so cool. It's green, it's got these flecks of green in there. Oh, I never knew that blue was in there. And if you put this one under a UV light, it, it, gl- it glows at night, look at how cool. Like that's what the body is. It's not what we project to be, it's who we are on the inside. And God gave us the gift of one another to be in that rock tumbler. To be more than we could ever be if we were just on the side of the riverbank. And when we're willing to be our true self, and it's, listen, it's not with, it's not with everybody. It's not like air your dirty laundry in a group this side. That's not it. No, 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 because listen, there's, I, I, I know how that works. You need to be with relationships that you can trust. And when you do that, I, I just believe that the, the Heavenly Father's gonna show up in unimaginable ways. So if you're not in a life group, we want you to get into one. If you're in a life group, man, make that a priority, not just for your sake, but for the sake of the person next to you that needs you to be present. Step into becoming the authentic version of yourself. And that sometimes is not like, blah, here's everything about me, and I, you know, my life is completely falling apart. But it might be a small step of vulnerability that you would share with someone. Even this morning, I, I greeted someone at the door, and I said, how are you? see the look in their eyes. I'm not okay. Your not okayness is okay here. <laughs> Put on a smile if you want to, but your mess is welcome here. Because guess what? Your pastor's a hot mess too. And you guys are a hot mess. I know that's true. Yep, you're a hot mess as well. Yep, yep, yep. That's who we are together. And that's the beauty of these rocks <laughs> that enter the tumbler. And God does something in us and through us. And, and as a result of all of that, it's like, wow, this is the church of God. <laughs> it's beautiful. And you're a part of that and you're needed. And that's gonna be the pathway to you living in your sweet spot of life. So you're not pretending to be something you're not. You're not false, you're not vain. There's no deception in you. You can just enter and be yourself. I want that for me. I want that for you. I want that for my kids. So listen to the words of Aguirre, this guy who's lived life <laughs> and looks back and say, I can see how I wasn't the authentic version of myself. Young people, you don't have enough of those, those like personality quirks that have built up and created all this damage in your life, but listen to this guy who has and gain that heart of wisdom that says, God, let falsehood and deception be far from me. Not just in what I speak, but in how I live, to be an authentic version of myself. Let me pray for us. And then we're just gonna respond with a, a moment here of worship. Let it sink into our hearts a little bit here this weekend. God, what a joy it is. What a joy it is to be known, to be loved, to be seen, not because of what we project, but because of the character of God that says we should accept one another just as in Christ we are accepted, the glory and the praise of God. Lord, help us to grow in that kind of authenticity, and I know this hard in, in here, but God, I want us to not just grow wide, I want us to grow deep in relationship with one another. So God, would you 
Would you open up new pathways for that kind of authentic living? And maybe that's coffee, maybe that's walking down the path on the towpath, maybe that's on a run on a Tuesday or Thursday as we just do life together. If that's in life group, God, just bring those things about and refine your people here, we pray. God, you are with us, and we pray that you'd be glorified through us. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name.